last week going through the Psalms of Ascent. So that's 15 Psalms from Psalm um, 120 to 134. That's a mini songbook that they would use as they traveled to Jerusalem several times a year. Uh, elementary kids, if you want, there's activity pages at the back. If you haven't grabbed those already, you can go on back and grab those uh, for during the service. So this morning we're in Psalm um, 121, and it's actually one of my favorite uh, Psalms. And I was thinking through when I first encountered it, and I for sure uh, was at this church when we used to sing a song based on that. And um, it went something like this. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Very good. Some of you know that, and there's more to the song, but I remember learning that as a teen and young adult. And then while I was in Bible college, I picked this as, uh, as something to do a sermon on. And I remember being in uh, our office in um, the, my parents' house and, and uh, working on WordPerfect, I think it was like 2.1, if you know what I'm saying, a blue screen. And I had upgraded, that was about my second year, I upgraded from a word processor where you type one line at a time and you could see it on a screen in case you had spelling mistakes and then you could press enter and so you wouldn't have to use whiteout. So um, I'm that old. So it was great. Uh, and so I remember that I really latched onto this uh, psalm. It became a favorite right away. And here's why I think that is. But first, let me just go back a little bit. This up here that you'll see is me, uh, about age seven to 10. And so uh, as, as a child, those glasses and that uh, um, impeccable style really became uh, defining for me. And I've shared this before, but as, as a kid, I was born uh, premature, and I, was, I have a birthday at the very end of the year, and I was always smallest in my class, and got teased because of my glasses, and didn't really fit in anywhere. I wasn't really great at sports. I wasn't really incredible at school, and there was nothing that really made me stand out. The only place I really fit in uh, was church, and so I loved being at church. But a lot of those things really define me. And I don't remember as a really young kid feeling sad about being picked on, teased, or alone. I remember times being alone. But as I grew older, I think I became more aware of that. And I think my tolerance and resilience just to kind of let it roll off my back uh, started to dim. And I started to notice more, especially when I get picked on publicly in front of others. And, and so by the time I hit uh, high school, going into grade nine, I started to wear contact lenses and I changed the way I dressed and the way I acted. I kind of wandered away from God in, in little ways throughout the early grades of high school in grade nine and 10 and 11 because I just wanted to solve this problem. And what I didn't realize is that the reason this psalm became so important to me is because underneath all of that was everything I just shared with you. I didn't realize it at the time. But that feeling uh, that I didn't quite fit in. And, and a couple years ago, through some quiet times and through some counseling, I, I started to, to unearth what was going on deep in my heart. Um, all during that time and through my teens and young adult life and as I became a youth pastor and married and all of those things and how I've come to grips with all of that my whole life. And one of the things that bubbled to the surface that was really riding underneath it all was a sense of shame. I was really ashamed of those glasses, ashamed of who I was, and I really tried to 
run from that. I spent a lot of time and energy in my life making sure that I was able to do that. And so I became very dependent on myself once I became aware of that. And as a late teen and young adult and in Bible college and achievements and doing things so that I could make sure I could help myself. Because there were times where I didn't feel like there was anyone else around me who could. In my loneliness and lack of fitting in and not sharing what sure what place I fit. I kind of had me at times, and that's all I felt. And so my hope today, as we go through this psalm, is that I know that there's some here, whether you're younger or older, who you experience the same thing. You have some parts of your life you're maybe ashamed of or embarrassed of, some parts of your life uh, you don't understand where God was at during those times. Maybe some times during your life where you didn't feel like you fit in too well. Some things you look back at and you wonder, where was God during that season? Like, didn't he know that I needed him? And yet he let me go through this anyway. And so as we look at this psalm, we're going to do it in two verse chunks. And last week we read the whole Psalm 120 together and we stood up and read that. We're going to read it together. I'm not going to get you to stand up and sit down and stand up. And if you're at home as well watching this, I encourage you to read along when we do this. But just a bit of context again to remember. These psalms are written as songs. And it's a songbook that would be sung through at least once a year when people traveled from wherever they lived, either in the nation of Israel or outside, on the way to the temple, ascending uphill to where the temple was located, where they would gather for a feast or a festival. There was at least three they were really supposed to go to, and many families would just kind of pick one, at least one. And so they would rehearse these songs and sing them on the way. And there's a, a pattern to them, and there's a reason to them. And Psalm 120, uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and, and re-watch that or listen to that on uh, a podcast. And uh, you can see the, the whole design for that. But in short, these psalms kind of go one after another. It's a progression, and last week there was not a resolution for trouble. The author listed a whole bunch of troubles he was going through and his deep faith that God would answer him, but there was no resolution. And by Psalm 121, we begin to see that there's at least some resolution, at least in his heart, in seeing how God would answer that. So we're going to start Psalm 121. We'll read verses 1 and 2 together. Read with me, and we'll start with the title there, A Song of Ascents. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So it's interesting that as they walked, it was quite a hilly country. And so they would pass by hills or mountains, depending on the translation you read. It'll say hills or mountains, depending on the scholar you read. They call it a hill or a mountain, the mountain of the Lord, the hill of the Lord, mountains, hills, doesn't matter. Why on earth? would the author say, I lift my eyes up and I look to these mountains. Where does my help come from? Did they come from the mountains? We read that in modern days and go, what do you mean your help comes from the mountains? But for the neighboring nations who had other gods, we know they aren't real gods, we know they're demons and all sorts of other stuff, but those other nations, they look to the gods who often they believed lived on the mountains, because mountains were so foreboding and, and, uh, and overshadowed their land. Where else would a god on earth live but in a place like that? 
Think of it, in English class throughout high school, you probably did Greek mythology. And it was, you know, on the, the mountain of Athens where the gods would live. And so this is pretty common for the neighboring nations to look to the mountains, to the gods who would help them. And so while they're journeying, beginning with Psalm 120, singing a psalm to say, be honest with where you're at with God. Take your troubles to God. Don't fake it. If you're not doing well, if you feel distant from him, if you're questioning where he's been in your life, bring that to him. And then we come to Psalm 121 where they sing, as I pass by these hills, as I lift my eyes up along my journey, where does my help come from? And the author says, my help doesn't come from the places that others look. So the people around you and the culture you live in, we live in, I live in, doesn't look to mountains, but they look to a lot of things. They look to self-help, they look to accomplishment, to culture and its values. We have a lot of values in our culture that say, if you value this, act like this, treat people like this, you will ascend and we will be the society without trouble. And yet the more we double down on you know, felt values or forced values, the further we are away from that. Other people look at money, accomplishments, what you've got, what you make of yourself, who you're in a relationship with, uh, you know, <laughs> where you're headed in life, all these things. People look to these things to help them, to solve their problems. Some people look uh, in summer to rest and relaxation. If only I could get away for a week and have it look exactly like this, then I can go back to work because it's horrible there. And all I need is this. And you get away, and you have a great week, and it's wonderful, and you forget your boss, and you forget all this stuff, and then you come back and you realize it's all there again, maybe even worse. And so these things can't help us. We lift our eyes up from our troubles, and what do you see? When you lift your eyes up, what do you see? Sometimes when you lift up from your troubles, think about it. When you're troubled, often we say, I'm downcast. I'm, I'm looking down. Think of Charlie Brown, right? He's looking down. When he's kicking the ground and all this stuff, he's upset, right? Or downcast. In the Bible, we read that all the time. Lift your eyes up. And when we lift our eyes up, what do you see? Sometimes all we can see is the trouble. The, the problems we have. The stuff we're dealing with. Sometimes we lift our eyes up to the things around us that we think will help. If only I had this. Relaxation. This gadget. This thing. This relationship. This money. This foundation. This new job. A different house. Uh, whatever it is. Look to it to solve the problem or at least ease the pain. And it doesn't. But this author, when he lifts his eyes up, what does he see? He sees the mountains for what they are, the trees, the stars, the universe. I see God who created all this. And if God is powerful enough to create all this, then he's powerful enough to help me in my trouble. It's a way better thing to look at, a way better source of help. And then we get to verse 3 and 4. Read it with me. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is a, a really great piece of Scripture because the author switches from first person, my experience, to you. And think about the pilgrims who are traveling and they go from singing this, I, you know, I, I worship God and I... You know, my help doesn't come from these places. And then they sing something to each other. They sing, you know, he will not let your foot slip. 
He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And it's really great that this author is dealing with this idea that God watches over Israel, right? God watches over his people. He watches over all of his children, followers of Jesus. God is watching over you. He's got you in his hands. He's watching. But he's not just watching over all of Israel. He's not just watching over all of his people. He's watching over you. And he holds both of these things in his hand, all of his people and all of you, all of his people's troubles and all of your troubles. And he says he will not let your foot slip. What does that mean? If you're on a journey and your foot slips and you're walking over a canyon or something, you can be really injured. If your foot slips and you, you, know, you twist an ankle or something like that, it, it, it ruins the whole journey. It can really set things off course. And what, the, what I think the author is saying is that when you're sticking close to God, he will order your steps. When you say, I will follow you and where you lead, he will keep your foot from slipping when you take his steps. When you don't take his steps, of course you're going to slip. Of course you're going to falter. It doesn't mean that God will override your free will and you can never make a bad choice again. And when you're you know, determined to walk a certain course in life, it's the wrong thing. He's going to let you experience that. But those who are his. He who watches over you will not slumber. So he won't let your foot slip. Why and how? Well, he doesn't sleep. We sleep. And so if you're in charge of watching over someone who's got an injury, make sure so-and-so doesn't hurt themselves again, right? So someone twists their ankle, someone breaks their arm, and the parent or someone else is, watch over them. Make sure they don't hurt themselves. Well, all it takes is you're at a picnic and you're sitting down and you turn to get some lemonade and the kid who broke his ankle is suddenly running as fast as they can and re-injures it. Or I'm starting to see parents who are like rolling eyes and looking at a spouse or looking at a child who's done that, right? All it takes is a moment and you can't keep them from re-injuring it, right? But God never sleeps. He never takes his eye off you. Isn't that wonderful? So think about it. The author is saying God watches over all of Israel, but he watches over you. He won't let your foot slip when you're taking steps in his way. Why and how? Because he never stops watching. And when we think of Psalm 120 from last week where the author says, I know you answer my prayer. This is part of that because God is always listening. He's always watching. He's always available. Think of how people who don't follow God, who are distant from him, but trying to move close to him, begin their prayers. Often, it's God if you're up there, or God if you're listening, or God, I don't know if you care, or watching me. They start in. Those who are following him, no. You, you don't have to start that way. You know, God is listening and watching and attentive. He never sleeps. He never stops watching you. He's always there. What an incredible promise. And then verse 5 and 6 says this. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Thanks for those who still remembered to read along. Those of you who did not, you get your chance. There's still two more verses. So, um, I think for me, I remember when I was going through this uh, and studying it for a sermon, these are the verses that I think captured me most. So there's a repetition here. The Lord watches over you. This author wants the people who are singing this on a pilgrimage and us reading it today, that we'd be, you know, have this repetition so we would remember. 
We rehearse this. The Lord watches over you. We hear this again and again. So it's a promise we hold tight to. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun and moon will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. I'm going to come back to that Lord is your shade. But think about the sun and moon part. I thought this was the coolest. Because the sun kind of has two ways we can interact with it. It can grow things, bring us warmth, make for a wonderful day. You've all sat and enjoyed the sun and, and waited through rainy days. I mean, when Alyssa, our oldest, got married a couple years ago, it was raining all week and raining the day before, and we were praying for sun, and the sun was there. It was warm, but it was beautiful that day. It would have been a much different day if the sun wasn't out in full view. We all know that. The sun is wonderful. But some of you have gotten a, a, a brutal sunburn. Or those who farm know what it's like to have a season of drought, right? So the sun can both do good things and bad things. How much control do we have over it? None. None at all. But God won't even let the sun harm you by day. So in all your day, this thing that's always there and you don't think about, you don't think, how, how today will the sun try and harm me? You don't wake up thinking that. God won't let the, even the sun harm you. And when you sleep, even though he doesn't sleep, he won't let the moon harm you by night. These big parts of our life that we don't even think about, we don't think about them causing disaster, but the moon draws the tides, and there's something about it that if things went out of whack with it, it would really make our world bad. We don't even think about it. So the things that we don't even think about, God holds in perfect motion. And when we think about the God of the universe who fine-tuned everything just so, so we could be on this earth and be in relationship with one another and be in relationship with him, he ordered and orchestrated it all. He holds those things, and that's what he watches, even when we can't. That's a great God. And then, in the middle, he says, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Now, at your right hand is an expression of intimacy. So Jesus went to the right hand of the Father. Intimacy. But this isn't God is at our right hand. He's our servant. He will follow us where we go. On our journey, he'll fan us, shade us, feed us grapes, make sure we're all good. He bends. You know what I mean? He's not doing that. God is at our right hand, shading us. We're the servant. He's the protector. He leads the way. He shades us from sun and moon and harm. Even the things we don't need, we know we need protection from. He is there the whole way. Now, if you're traveling in ancient near Middle East, and you get into a season or, or, or a particular part of your journey that's scorching and there's no shade, depending on your health and the level of water you have in your system, it can be a matter of life and death. We don't think about that. When we read, you know, God, you're at my right hand, you're my shade, we're thinking, wonderful. How often have you gone without water? Or how often have you had a full day where you have no shade? You're like, oh, it's so hot on this baseball field, I can't wait till the game's over and we can go to Montana's, or whatever you're doing, right? You have shade. You have water. You have all, we have that built in. For those people, this was a big deal. This is a big deal to have shade in the near Middle East when they're journeying from wherever they're coming from up the hill to Jerusalem. 
knowing that God would provide them with it. And it's not a literal thing, it's a metaphor, but he will give that protection that we need. God is a good God. And finally, verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And in case there's any doubt about the scope of God's protection, about the scope of God's power, he will watch over you and keep you from all harm. Not just the things the author's already mentioned, not just the stuff you recognize and the things you don't. It's all harm. Not just in this season of your life, not the things you've identified, not the troubles you have and you've taken to him already as you begin your journey to the temple if you're in ancient Israel. Or right now in this season of your life, you probably have some troubles that you're taking to him or you should take to him or you could take to him and they're right at the forefront of your thought. You're downcast it's all you can see in front of you even when you lift your eyes up and this author is saying it's not just those things he's been watching over you already you're coming and you're going past present future that's the God we serve and so when you think of these troubles he's there there's a problem there's a problem so we can end here, and it's brought me great hope. But if you've ever walked through something incredibly difficult, and you've asked God to do something that seems completely within his nature, and he doesn't come through for you, especially this last verse, is really difficult. Because the author is telling us to sing to one another, he will keep you from all harm. Yet our experience is that God has not. So here's the reality. If God won't let your foot slip, if he neither sleeps nor slumbers, if he'll protect us from sun and moon, if he protects us from all harm, past, present, future, if the sun won't scorch us by day, the moon by night, if he never sleeps and never slumbers, if he will never let our foot slip to become harmed, and now I'm experiencing trouble, what gives? Shouldn't his children, shouldn't his followers be the ones without sickness, be the ones with every need provided for? Shouldn't we be the ones who are most healthy, most wealthy, most good off? Shouldn't the testimony of the church be that those who aren't following God would look at us and say, what is the problem? Like, I'm going through all these problems, and those people have none. That's a good way to be. Sign me up for that. That's not the testimony of the church. We don't see that from the early church on. I mean, the apostles, the 12, well, the 11, you know, minus Judas, they were all killed except for John. I mean, murdered. They had nothing. They had nothing. And Jesus didn't either. And so, how do we reconcile this? One of the things that's helped me in the past few years is a, a book by the name of uh, Boundaries by Stuart Townend and Henry Cloud. We've got it in the library. It was at the back for a little while. And in there, they talk about uh, a trouble. And they make a distinction between hurt and harm. And, and I'm a really visual learner, and uh, so it really sinks in. And they talked about going to the dentist as an illustration. And so I, I just can't seem to forget this. This makes sense. Who loves going to the dentist? Anyone? Okay, anyone put your hand up? You're sick. It's wrong. You're not sick. I'm just kidding. Most people, I do, know, I do know people who actually like going to the dentist, so there's nothing wrong with that. You should teach us something. But most people don't like it. Why? Because it hurts. 
Even a, a cleaning, it hurts. If you don't care for your teeth, it hurts. Even if you care for your teeth, you can get hurt. We don't like it. You sit there and they ask you, how are you doing? And you say, I'm okay. I think I'm okay, right? You're not okay. If you're like me, all your muscles are like tense. Are you conscious? Because I get conscious of that. And I realize I'm tensing and I try and purposely not tense and I tense up again. And I think they're looking at me and they're thinking, what's the problem? This can't be that bad. And when you're getting a filling in things. And uh, Stephanie got a filling not too long ago where she said to the dentist, I haven't got one of those for a while. That's awful. Like, I don't want to have that again, right? We don't like it. It hurts us. Here's the question. Does it harm us? No. If you don't go through the hurt, you don't receive the help. The hurt is to give us help, and we don't end up in harm. But if you don't go through the hurt, you're going to have harm, eventually, and worse hurt. So that's helped me reconcile some of this. Because um, when we go through trouble, and when we go through things that hurt us, we can ask, where is God? It's, it's a normal question. The answer is that he's right there with you. So if he's right there with me, could he have prevented it? Yes. Did he? Well, sometimes, and sometimes not. Why? We don't know. The truth of the matter is that God hasn't promised us a life free from hurt, pain, trouble. If we experience that, guess where we are? It's called heaven. It's his promise to those who receive his gift of salvation, walk with him. He redeems, renews, restores, gives new life, returns and makes us completely new, and we live forever in a new heaven, new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new holy hill, without the need for a temple, where there's no pain, there's no trouble, there's no tears. But we chose as humanity to go against God and to live in a world where sin rules and reigns. And where the power of sin is active. And so whether it's the power of sin, a power that's just at play all the time, or it's something spiritual, it's something someone does to us, regardless of how the trouble comes, we live in a world with trouble. And there are times where God comes in. That's called a miracle. And he does that. And he still does that. And we pray for that. But he doesn't always. Because if he does always... We're in heaven. And we chose this. This is the world we're in. We're going to have sin. We're going to have pain. We're going to have trouble. But here's the reality of what God does. And those of you who are uh, parents or uh, have been involved with any, any, younger, any younger people, it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not, if you have had some sort of uh, connection with someone who's younger who can't make certain decisions for themselves, you'll know what I'm talking about. Let's say that your son, daughter, niece, nephew, neighbor, friend, whoever is younger in your life has an illness. They're sick. They're not doing well. And they need a surgery. And that's an invasive surgery, and it's going to mean months of reconstruction, months of hospitalization, months of hurt and pain. But at the end... They won't be dealing with this hurt anymore. What good neighbor, friend, guardian, parent, person would say, no way, doctor, no way, nurse, no way, specialist. You are horrible and awful for suggesting I put this person I love through this terrible thing. 
How could you do that? You must not be loving, caring, kind. You must be distant and heartless. It's the worst bedside manner I've ever had. Isn't there another way you can get them healed? And if that specialist says no, and if you withhold that treatment, there's a problem. And God in his goodness and God in his power oftentimes allows us to go through hurt. And as I look back on my life, and as I look back on some of the hurt I've experienced, what I recognize is not a God who's distant, not a God I can't understand. Why would you let me go through this? You're heartless and cruel. When I begin to see that he's beside me, and when I begin to notice how he's been forming me, and who I am now versus who I was then, who I might possibly be now without that, I sound like I'm glad for it, <laughs> but the New Testament says rejoice in trials. Don't be thankful for the trial. Be thankful that God is with you in it because we live in a sinful world and you're going to be hurt. You're going to have trouble. There's going to be pain. It's coming your way no matter what. And so either we can shake our fists at a God who allows us to go through it and bemoan the fact of where we are now or we can start to spot him and walk with him that he is unwilling to let us go through the harm of eternal separation from him. He will let us go through hurt. He'll let us go through hurt. But he went through the harm. Jesus the Son was separated from God the Father. That is the greatest harm that can ever happen to us as humans. Separation. But rather than us suffering eternal separation, without an opportunity for things to be made right, God himself came down and suffered every hurt we will. And then the end harm. Because some of the things that hurt us, though they're meant by Satan and the world and the power of sin to harm us, undo us, ruin us, and never come back from, the power of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is this. He reconciles broken things. He redeems things that are meant for our harm. He resurrects dead things, things that are meant to ruin us. That's the thing that we're supposed to sing in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up where? To the mountains? No. To my accomplishments, to self-help stuff, to better health and diet and relationships, to a better house, a better job, a better whatever. I look at all the people around me and they seem to be happy with this and this and this and this. And if I only had that thing, if I only lived in that way, if I only had this trouble taken away, I would be that happy. And it's not true. And it's hopeless. And God who created all things has the power to make things new. Here's what this psalm means to me. Each time I was mocked or teased, I know that God was with me. Not simply because he's beside me at my right hand to shade me, but because in his being beside me, because he's God, he knew my heart. He knows more about my heart and my pain than I do. And Jesus, God himself, came and was mocked too. 
He knows what it's like, and he's there with me. Each time I felt alone, I knew he was with me. I can look back and see that now. I can reconcile that. And Jesus knew what it was to be alone too because in his most desperate hour of need, the night he was betrayed by one of his closest with a kiss, all the rest of the 11, they ran. <laughs> they took right off after saying, I'll never depart from you, Lord. And do you know what? Peter, we often focus on Peter, you know, the, the rooster crowing three times, you have the nine three times. If you read the scriptures, it says that they all, after Peter said, I'll never deny you, all the rest of them said, me too. And they all ran. Jesus knows what it's like to be left alone. Each time I felt ashamed of my glasses or who I am or the way I acted or there's stuff about me that why don't others like me or well, I need to become this thing so others will like me. God knew he was right beside me. And Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like to go through shame. He hung on a cross. We don't know if he was naked or wearing a loincloth, but he had insults hurled at him, and he was shameful. So he doesn't just know our shame. Scripture says he bore all our shame. Every bit of shame we have, either stuff we've done or stuff that's been done to us, he bore on himself. He wore that for us. Each time I was hurt, he was there. He wasn't distant. He was walking through it so that he could take that hurt and use it to form me in ways nothing else could. What Satan, what the power of sin, what evil desired to harm me, ruin me, keep me from being who I'm supposed to be in Christ, my identity in him, those harmful things, hurt couldn't keep me from because... The God I serve, he watches day and night. He watches past and present. Sun and moon and no other thing can harm me. He won't let my foot slip as I determine to walk in his ways and keep in step with the Spirit. He'll help me where I fail. I fail all the time. I don't have it in me to follow him to the perfection I need to keep from slipping and going off and veering off and looking at mountains and things. And I don't have it in me to do that. But because I have the power of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is with me, because God the Father walks with me, past, present, future, he is my shade at all times, he's my protector, then I can lift my eyes up to God. And that's what I encourage you. Lift your eyes up to God. And my hope today is that as you lift your eyes up, you wouldn't see the trouble. You wouldn't see the other stuff around you that gives hope to others, but it's a false hope. It's a shallow hope. And that the help you receive and request would be from God alone. And that you'd be able to reconcile some of the hurt you've been through, some of it horrible and terrible. And know that God doesn't just go, well, that's going to be good for him or her, so go to it, I'll meet you on the other side. God doesn't want any of the hurt, but we chose it. And if he comes in every time, we fail to live in a sinful world. And we fail to have free will to do our own thing. He wants us to do our own thing. But he wants our own thing to be his thing. And so when we lift our eyes up, what do you look to? Lift your eyes up to God. Not to yourself, your accomplishments, others. Lift your eyes up to God. And my prayer today is that if you're not following Jesus, if you've never decided to follow him, that you would do that because it's good. And God knows you're hurt. And it's normal to say, God, where were you? That's normal. 
But part of salvation and part of what he brings to us as we begin to believe in him is a deep-seated faith, not to overlook those things, not to abandon reason, but to actually have deep-seated faith. Reason beyond humanity to see God with us who can form us and take the things meant for our harm and turn them into something good. It's my prayer that regardless of where you're at today, what kind of trouble you hold and where your eyes are looking, that you would be able to make these words of this psalm your own. These would be yours. And as we listen to and watch as we close the words of these psalms, may they resonate in your heart for the coming week and weeks and months that this too would become one of your favorites, that you'd sing it to yourself and others through your life and with your words. Watch this. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over our coming and going, both now and forevermore. Stand with me. God, thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart that in the moments of my life where I wonder